ओम ज्ञान चिरंधस्यज्ञानंजनशलाकाय Translation: Oh, how glorious are they, whose tongues are chanting your holy name! Even if born in the families of dog eaters, such persons are worshipable. Persons who chant the holy name of your lordship must have executed all kinds of austerities and fire sacrifices, and achieved all the good manners of the Aryans. To be chanting the holy name of your lordship, they must have bathed at holy places of pilgrimage, studied the Vedas, and fulfilled everything required. Purport, as it is stated in the previous verse, a person who has once offenselessly chanted the holy name of God becomes immediately eligible to perform Vedic sacrifices. One should not be astonished by this statement of Srimad Bhagavatam. One should not disbelieve or think. How, by chanting the holy name of the Lord, one can become a holy man to be compared to the most elevated Brahmana? To eradicate such doubts in the minds of unbelievers, this verse affirms that the stage of chanting the holy name of the Lord is not sudden, but that the chanters have already performed all kinds of Vedic rituals and sacrifices. It is not very astounding, for no one in this life. Can chant the holy name of the Lord unless he has passed all lower stages, such as performing the Vedic ritualistic sacrifices, studying the Vedas, and practicing good behavior like that of the Aryans. All this must first have been done, just as a student in a law class is to be understood to have already graduated from general education. Anyone who is engaged in the anyone who is engaged in the chanting of the holy name of the Lord, Hari Krishna, Hari Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hari Hari. Hari Rama, Hari Rama, Rama Rama, Hari Hari, must have already passed all lower stages. It is said that those who simply chant the holy name with the tip of the tongue are glorious. One does not even have to chant the holy name and understand the whole procedure, namely the offensive stage, offensive stage, and pure stage. If the holy name is sounded on the tip of the tongue, that is also sufficient. It is said herein that Nama, a singular number, one name, Krishna or Rama, is sufficient. It is not that one has to chant all the holy names of the Lord. The holy names of the Lord are innumerable, and one does not have to chant all the names to prove that he has already undergone all the processes of Vedic ritualistic ceremonies. If one chants once only, it is to be understood that he has already passed all the examinations. Not to speak of those who are chanting always, twenty-four hours a day. It is specifically said here, "Tubhyam unto you only." One must chant God's name, not, as the Mayavadi philosophers say, any name, such as a demigod's name or the name of Krishna, the names of God's energies. Only the holy name of the Supreme Lord will be effective. Anyone who compares the holy name of the Supreme Lord to the names of the demigods is called Pashandi, or an offender. The holy name has to be chanted to please the Supreme Lord, and not for any sense gratification or professional purpose. If this pure mentality is there, then even though a person is born of a low family, such as a dog eater's, he is so glorious that not only has he purified himself, but he is quite competent to deliver others. He is competent to speak on the importance of the transcendental name, just as Thakur Haridas did. He was apparently born in a family of Mohammedans, but because he was chanting the holy name of the Supreme Lord, offenselessly. Lord Chaitanya empowered him to become the authority or acharya of spreading the name. It did not matter that he was born in a family which was not following the Vedic rules and regulations. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Advaita Prabhu accepted him as an authority because 
He was offenseless to chanting the holy name of the Lord. Authorities like Advaita Prabhu and Lord Chaitanya immediately accepted that he had already performed all kinds of austerities, studied the Vedas and performed all sacrifices. That, that is automatically understood. There is a hereditary class of Brahmanas called the Smarta Brahmanas, however, who are of the opinion that even if such persons who are chanting the holy name of the Lord are accepted as purified, they still have to perform the Vedic rites or await their next birth in a family of Brahmanas so that they can perform the Vedic rituals. But actually that is not the case. Such a man does not need to wait for the next birth to become purified. He is at once purified. It is understood that he has already performed all sorts of rites. It is the so-called Brahmanas who actually have to undergo different kinds of austerities before reaching that point of purification. There are many other Vedic performances which are not described here. All such Vedic rituals have already been performed by the chanters of the Holy Name. The word Juhuvuhu means that the chanters of the Holy Name have already performed all kinds of sacrifices. Sasnahu means that they have already traveled to all the holy places of pilgrimage and taken part in purificatory activities at those places. They are called Aryaha because they have already finished all these requirements and therefore they must be among the Aryans or those who have qualified themselves to become Aryans. Aryan refers to those who are civilized, whose manners are regulated according to the Vedic rituals. Any devotee who is chanting the holy name of the Lord is the best kind of Aryan. Unless one studies the Vedas, one cannot become an Aryan, but it is automatically understood that the chanters have already studied all the Vedic literature. The specific word used here is anuchahu, which means that because they have already completed all these recommended acts, they have become qualified to become spiritual masters. The very word grananti, which is used in this verse, means to be already established in the perfectional stage of ritualistic performances. If one is seated on the bench of a hide court and is giving judgment on cases, it means that he has already passed all legal exams and is better than those who are engaged in the study of law or those expecting to study law in the future. In a similar way, persons who are chanting the holy name are transcendental to those who are factually performing the Vedic rituals and those who expect to be qualified, or in other words, those who are born in families of Brahmanas but have not yet undergone the reformatory processes and do therefore expect to study the Vedic rituals and perform the sacrifices in future. There are many Vedic statements in different places saying that anyone who chants the holy name of the Lord becomes immediately freed from conditional life, and that anyone who hears the holy name of the Lord, even though born of a family of dog-eaters, also becomes liberated from the clutches of material entanglement. Aho batashvapachoto gariyam yajjiva gre narvartate namatu bhyam tipus tapas te juhuvu sasnu arya vamanu chur namagrananti te. Oh my, oh how glorious are they whose tongues are chanting your holy name. Even if born in the families of dog eaters, such persons are worshipable. Persons who chant the holy name of your lordship must have executed all kinds of austerities and fire sacrifices and achieved all the good manners of the Aryans. To be chanting the holy name of your lordship, they must have bathed at holy places of pilgrimage, studied the Vedas and fulfilled everything required. This is spoken by Devahuti to her son, Lord Kapila, who is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Srila Prabhupada often quoted this verse. And the verse before it, which has a similar 
purport is also often quoted in the Gorya literature. Yat Namadhya Shavana Nukirtana Yat Pravanad Yat Swaranada Pikrachit Swado Pisadya Savanaya Kalpati Kutapunaste Bhagavanna Dharshanat. To say nothing of the spiritual advancements of persons who see the Supreme Person face to face. Even a person born in a family of dog eaters immediately becomes eligible to perform sacrifice, Vedic sacrifices if he at once if he once utters the holy name of the Supreme Lord or chants about him, hears about his pastimes, offer him offers him obeisances, or even remembers him. Quite a quite an astonishing statement, which is why a whole Devahuti herself, while introducing me, such as, Oh, 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 amazing. Oh, butter. How wonderful, how surprising, how glorious. Yet a person who is born in a family of dog eaters, which is pretty low. We don't expect any high culture from people who eat dogs. We don't see dog eaters in India at the present time. Maybe in the, in the jungles up in the northeast there are some people who if they find a dog they'll kill it and eat it. Although it's still popular to eat dogs in other parts of the world. Anyway, the, from this we can understand that some things in Vedic culture have, have changed. It appears that at one point dog eating was, if not common, was at least known. Not exactly in Vedic culture, but we can say in on the edges of Vedic culture, in on the in Indian society or whatever. There, there are certain people who had dogs, and you can imagine that it would be considered very low. The, the culture is based on purification and purity. People are the even a small thing of impurification. Some small thing, a bird passes stool on them or something, and they have to go take bath. It's so much concern with ritual purity, and then how, how far away from that, how much at the opposite end of the scale is one who eats dogs, cooks and eats dogs. So the concept is there in Hindu society, asprishyata, untouchability. Such persons, if you even touch them, you become contaminated. A baby is also, for, for one who's engaged in, in serving the Lord, a brahmana who's specifically one who's engaged in deity worship or cooking, they, they shouldn't touch a baby. Or, in general, they keep away Women are one place and men are somewhere else. Because women means they have children. They're always looking after children. And children, because they're not trained, they're always dirty. So, that, that culture was there. Men and women are separate. There are many advantages to that also. One reason is just for the sake of cleanliness. Because women in general, they look after children. And children are unclean. And The men, this is specifically in the Brahmana caste. Those who those who are worshipping the deity, or anything, any activity, before studying the Shastra, one should be in a state of 
cleanliness. You'll see, at, at least in our ISKCON centers in Bengal, they always put the panchapatra, so people before giving class or touching the Bhagavad after touching so many things, they'll, they'll perform archama. At least that much purification should be there. So the whole idea is purity. The Vedic society revolves around performing sacrifice. This is the way in which the whole society is uplifted. The Brahmanas are the spiritual heads of society and they are qualified to perform sacrifices. They can be yagyik or those who perform sacrifices whereas the Kshatriyas, they would generally be the yajaman or those who who uh, arrange the sacrifice and who will be the if it's a sacrifice performed for some material benefit then the kshatriya he, or he the one who organizes the sacrifice he is the he is the person who benefits from that or in in the big public sacrifices which the kings would organize for the benefit of the whole society then the king he would be the principal yajaman but then all the members of the society they all benefit so the whole society revolved around sacrifice. We have the well-known verse, Vana Shamacharavata Purushena Parapuman, Vishnur Aradhite Pantap Nanyatosha Karanam. That one should worship Krishna or Vishnu through the Varnashram system. There's no other way of advancement for people. They have to do this. So the whole Varnashram society we often hear talk about you know, who's a Kshatriya, who's a Vaishya, and all this. But the, often devotees don't understand the whole point. The cooperation, what is that? It's, it's social cooperation, but with a specific purpose. The whole society has a purpose, which there may be other sub-purposes. People want sense gratification. They want dharma rata, karma moksha. But the, the, the way to affect that is by performing sacrifices. Even sacrifices, they even dharma, artha, and karma, they are. That's obviously that comes from. Or it's not difficult to see how that comes from performing sacrifice. But even moksha, because as described in chapter four of the Bhagavad Gita, by performing yagyas, then uh, by performing this activity, it helps to awaken the knowledge by which one becomes detached from the world. So it's a purificatory process. And in this way, everything everyone in the Varnashram society does contributes towards the yagya. Everyone is, uh, everyone is a, a sharer in the benefit that comes from the sacrifice. So it's not an ex- the Varnashram system isn't an exploited system. It's not that the lower castes are exploited or, or women are exploited because they're in a mm, sub they're in a sub role in a, a subordinate role but they also share in the benefit that is performed by the yagya but it's essential that the yagya is performed by brahmanas who are brahmana means they should be pure in word in habit, in deed, in thought. And apart from that, they have to they have to be trained to perform the yagya. There's a, there's so many qualifications to be a Brahmana and they it's 
There's so many things in the performance of the yagya. That's why they have all different kinds of priests to do different things. It's a very specialized thing, and you have to get it just right or it doesn't work. Like in a petrochemical plant, you have to... Everything has to be just... Every, you have to have the right quantities of chemicals and at the right temperatures under the right pressure. And then you get different kinds of polymers and plastics and nylons produced. It's a very exact science. It has to be done in a very controlled and exact way. So qualified brahmanas are needed. And to, qualified brahmana means, generally that means they're born in a brahmana family. That means they inherit. By, it, it's understood that those who are born in a brahmana family, generally it's understood that they're born because of previous pious activities which qualified them to take birth in that family. There may be Ravanas and Hiranyakashipus who are born in Brahmana families who are Ravanas and Hiranyakashipus. But generally the, the, the sons of the Brahmana, they're, they, it's understood that they've taken that birth. Everyone takes birth according to their previous activities. So it's understood that someone who's performed pious activities in previous lives, they take birth in a Brahmin family. They're qualified and to take birth in that atmosphere. And then they're, they're raised in that atmosphere, which is conducive to uh, developing the mentality, the whole culture by which one will be uh, a Brahmana. He's interested in spiritual life, or at the very least, he's interested in religious life. There's a difference. The Karma Kandya activities, that could be called religious life and spiritual life. Well, that's on a higher platform altogether. But at the very least, the brahmanas who are performing ritual, the ritualistic brahmanas, karma kandya brahmanas, it's a very pure lifestyle. And it, like that word, thought, and deed, and then from the beginning, they have to be trained. and It's, it's, it's a lot of training and a strict discipline in the gurukul by which one can become qualified to perform sacrifices. So it's understood that one who's born in a Brahmana family is because of pious activities performed in a previous life. And one who's born in a family of dog eaters, it means he, he cleared away enough of his previous past karmas that he didn't take birth in. He took birth in the human species. But practically that's considered subhuman. They have a human body, but by culture it's subhuman, savage that uh, eating, eating dogs or hunting animals. And of course, the Kshatriyas also sometimes they hunt animals, but they're talking about what are nowadays erroneously called the Adivasis in India. Erroneous, because it's all based on the theory of evolution and Aryan invasion. But, but uh, the, the tribal people, you still see them with primitive bows and arrows and going and hunting for some rats or something to shoot and eat. I mean, I didn't see any for quite a few years, but I have seen them. These tribal people like that. Mostly they're on building sites nowadays. <laughs> in the cities. Well, there are so many. You've seen in that, uh, what is it, Panch Mahal district? Around Godra? You were traveling there? No, they're full of uh, tribal people. 
So they're considered, they got a human birth, but they must have been very sinful in their past previous life. You get a body according to your karma. Swakarma fala bhukpuman. It's a simple principle that you, according to your activities, you get that kind of body. Purusha prakriti stohi bhute prakriti jan gunan. Karanam guna sangasya sadhasadhyoni janmasu. The living being is in contact with the material nature and he's rotating within that cycle and he gets sad or asad. He attains uh, this, the word sad and asad. There are some of those words which are difficult to translate, even though it's such a common word. But we could say auspicious or inauspicious birth according to our activities. So someone who's born in the family of a dog-eater, it means they must have been sinful in a previous life. The one who's born in the family of a brahmana, he must have been pious in a previous life. It's generally understood like that. We find also in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says about the uh, fallen brahmana, uh, sorry, the, the yogi, well generally a yogi is from brahmana background, he's yoga brushed up. He's fallen from the path of practicing yoga, but Shuchinam, Srimatam, Gehe Yoga Prashto Vijayate. He is, uh, he, take, he takes birth in a pious family, either a Brahmana family, or it doesn't say a Kshatriya family, or the other is the, in the Vaishya family, opulent family. At least that's how the Acharyas. Pious, pious family. He doesn't. Now these are general statements. We, just like we see, Hiranyakashipu was born of a Brahmana fa- father. Ravana was born of a Brahmana father. And Prahlad was born of a demoniac father. So it do, it doesn't always follow that the child takes after the nature of the parents. It's not always like that. But generally it is. It may be in some, there may be some other extenuating circumstances. Note the word, does anyone here know know what the word extenuating? You probably don't know what that means. Extenuating circumstances means some, some other considerations that affect the situation. So, what is being stated here in this verse is that even if someone is born in a family of dog eaters, if they are chanting the holy names of the Lord, in this verse and the previous verse, it's stated, they are qualified to perform Vedic sacrifices. And it's understood that in previous lives they've performed all pious activities. Now, generally you'll say, well, someone who's born in a Brahmin family, once they've taken the requisite training, they are qualified to perform Vedic sacrifices, and they must have performed all these pious activities in previous lives. And that's why they're born in a Brahmin family, and that's why they're qualified to perform sacrifices. 
But here it's said that even if someone is born in such a, a low-class family, he is qualified to perform sacrifices and he must have performed all pious activities in a previous life. Then the question comes, well, if they performed all pious activities in a previous life, how come they got born in a family of dog eaters? How did that happen? <coughs> the point is being made that if one is in a fallen condition, if he chants the holy name, he transcends all fallen conditions. It's, this is being given as an example because it's generally not expected that one who's born in a family of dog eaters will be so pious as to chant the holy names. Generally, it's expected that those who are of pious backgrounds, they will take to the most pious activity of chanting the holy names. It's not expected that someone from such a sinful background will chant the holy names. But, nevertheless, it's being said that even if someone from such a background chants the holy names, he's understood to be the most pious person, notwithstanding his background, This is stressing the value of chanting the holy names. That by chanting the holy names, that is the most pious activity. It supersedes all other pious activities. Now, of course, the smarter brahmanas, as Prabhupada points out in this purport, they don't like to accept this. Or, as Prabhupada points out, they may accept that you are, someone is purified by the chanting of the Holy Name. They accept that. Smarter Brahmanas that also chant the name of Vishnu with the idea of becoming freed from sin. They know the name of Vishnu is purified. But they say that if someone from such a low background, yes, they can be purified by chanting the name of Vishnu. They accept that. But they say that he has to take another birth to perform Vedic sacrifice. Even though he's purified, he has to take another birth, which in one sense seems quite reasonable, inasmuch as someone from a, born in a family of dog eaters, then they may be purified by chanting the holy names of the Lord, but because of their training and their habits, then all and they don't have the training how to how to pronounce properly the mantras or all the complex procedures or or all the uh, all the, all the different, even just the basic behavior, you know, it's like, you know, all of a sudden they, you know, start coughing and they spit in the middle of the sacrifice or something, spit in the fire or something, I don't know. But the people, they have, unless you're trained in high culture, it's very difficult to adopt it later on. That's why we see Prabhupada wrote in one purport that it's now an emergency and therefore we have to train our people from the Mlecha and Yavanas caste to be Brahmanas. But practically you see that even though people have Brahmana threads and they're, they're engaged in worshipping the deity, then often their, their habits and their mentality, it's, it's very difficult to transcend, just like you're playing with your toes just now in the class, which, you know, you're not supposed to touch your toes unless you're unless you're doing some exercises or something, or maybe cutting it, you just, it's just something you just don't touch it all the time. It's, 
I remember Jaipitaka Maharaj was pointing out sometimes he, he saw that sometimes the Indian devotees are surprised that the speaker of the Bhagavatam is holding on to his toes during the Mayapur festival or something. And then they'll turn the pages of the book. And or they'll drink the glass of water, touching it to their lips, and then to of course nowadays the Indians they don't know any better either. They also become complete mlechas and yavanas. But but be, these are disqualifications. That you, you, the whole sacrifices would be any sacrifice would be spoiled by that. So it would seem to be a reasonable statement of the smarter brahmanas that even if you are purified, that you have to take another birth. Of course, if the training is there, then even if comes one comes from very what is social, considered a socially bad background, one may be trained to perform all Brahminical activities. In the modern age, the Vedic sacrifices are not recommended anyway. Chanting of the holy names is a recommended sacrifice. Um, we also perform sacrifices. But the whole practice of Krishna consciousness in the modern age is according to the Pancharatriki system which is not according to the Vedic system, which is that for the Vedic system, it's, it's a, there are so many more considerations. In the Pancharatric system, the, it, it's based more on bhav, on the attitude of the performer, than on the uh, ritualistic correctness. It's, it's based on the principle of the Supreme Lord being Bhavagrahi. He accepts the mood of the performer. That Murko Vaditi Vishnaya Pandita Vaditi Vishnave Ubhaya Tu Samam Punyam Bhavagrahi Janadana. A fool says Vishnaya. On Keshavayanama, on Narayanayanama, on Madhavayanama, on Govindayanama, on Vishnayanama. Sounds right, doesn't it? But no, it's, it's for whatever reason, Panini knows maybe, it's, it's not Vishna, it's Vishnave. So one who's studied even basic grammar knows that it should be Vishnave, not Vishna. But both get the same result because the Lord is the... He accepts the mood of the performer. So in that case, the Murka who says... He's Murka, he's a fool in the sense that he, he's saying Sanskrit but he doesn't know it. But he's not a Murka, he's not a fool if he's attempting to satisfy Lord Vishnu. That is the greatest intelligent thing to do. So the Pancharatric system is especially important for Kali Yuga because people are less qualified in this age. And we can practically see from generation to generation how the, how the level of culture and application 
in human society is going down. Isn't that practically from one generation to the next? The level is is just going down. People are just rapidly going to the dogs, as an English saying. As we, it means they're becoming completely spoiled. So as we turn out dog eaters, you see, everything is going to the dogs. But even in this very bad situation, if one is chanting the holy names of the Lord, he becomes elevated to a platform which is more elevated than that of a Brahmana. Now, what's the, there are some important considerations here. There are two kinds of Brahmana. Of course, there may be many kinds, but within one, within one system of classification there are two kinds of Brahmana. One is the Vyavaharit Brahmana. It means according to Vyavahar, according to social custom, is accepted as a Brahmana. It generally means one who's generally means always means one who's born in a Brahmana family. And more so if he actually performs activities as a Brahmana. Even today in India, so many boys from Brahmana families, they're trained in schools, they learn Aveda, and they perform Karmakanda for pious Hindus. Even today, that's going on. Just recently in Ahmedabad, on Ram Nomi, we had in the temple a yagya, Jashwati Nandan Prabhu, called Brahmanas. And I, I spoke to some of them, they said they'd, quite, they'd, they'd recently graduated from the Vidyapit, which is not far from our temple there. And now they were engaged there. They, before, they were doing Karmakanda. That's all we're doing now, we're doing Karmakanda. Means they'll do rituals for people, perform sacrifices and inaugurate their motorbikes and their houses and things like this. And then shrad, that's an important thing they do. For various sacrifices and different things they do. And if they know astrology also, then like that. So this is the, you can say this is ordinary Hinduism. It's going on. It's karmakanda. That's always been the, the, uh, the majority of people in Hinduism are following karmakanda. And karmakanda, jnanakanda, shakali, Bisharabhanda. It's all pots of poison for those who have understood that surrender to Krishna is the goal of life. But still it's a lot better than not doing anything. To be a to be a pious Hindu is definitely a lot better than being a a pious non Hindu, such as a Musulman or Christian who eats beef and blasphemes the Vedic gods or just a complete atheist, or someone who's not nominally Hindu, but they have no interest in all these things. So, from one perspective, it's nonsense. From another perspective, it's a much better brand of nonsense than other brands of nonsense. 
as Srila Prabhupada said more than once when he was asked, is it better to be a Christian believing in one God or a Hindu believing in many gods? And Prabhupada, on more than one occasion, says, it's better to be a Hindu. Because at least they're within the Vedic culture. They're more likely to. He didn't elaborate on that, but I can imagine that even in the modern day with Hindu culture so messed up, at least they're more likely to chant the names of Krishna and have some at least superficial respect for Krishna, whereas in other religious cultures they're more likely to blaspheme Krishna. And the the Vedic culture is a scientific method for elevation. And they're more likely to do, you know, they'll go, just like it's mentioned here, they'll go to holy places and bathe in them, which from one sense, again from the pure bhakti point of view, it's not very valuable, but then it's a lot better than you know, if you're going to visit Gangotri and taking bath at the Triveni, these are activities which they're preparatory activities for bhakti. So one was I saying? So yeah, there are two kinds of brahmanas. We have a Harit Brahmana. So he Generally, they're Karmakandiya Brahmanas, or they're, they're born in Brahmana families. And of course, many people are born in Brahmana families these days. Their parents and even their grandparents have very little uh, to do with anything. They're not, their, main, their name may be Yagyek or Pujari, but they have a business, or they're a doctor, or a lawyer, or a clerk in an office, or something like that. They, it used to be that the, the Brahmanas who were, they were actually Purohit, Pujari, according to their name, and then they started doing secular activities for their living, and they would still do sometimes some Brahminical activities on the side, or they would worship the deity in their home at least, but many of them have given that up altogether. So, of those who are still Brahmanas, engaged in, not just by name, but by vritti, by occupation. There are still such persons. So they may be called Vyavaharic Brahmanas. And nowadays the Brahmanas, their, their level of purity is much gone down. But formerly they had a very pure culture. Still we find some people very, very pure by their culture. Paramartic Brahmana means Brahmana due to his spiritual advancement. This Brahmana means Brahma Janatiti Brahmana. One who knows Brahma is Brahmana. So Brahmana means one who's in engaged in uh, Brahmana, this word can be understood Brahma understood as the absolute truth Brahma also means the Vedas so Brahmana means Veda Panti all Hindus or members of our national society they are followers of the Vedas but Brahmana means also Veda Pati one who recites the Vedas and they should know Traditionally, a Brahmana had to know at least one Veda. 
then they'd be known as a Rigvedi or Yajurvedi. And Samavedi or Atarvavedi is not so common. Rigvedi and Yajurvedi those more common. Or Dvivedi or Trivedi or Chaturvedi. They know four Vedas. So that's for the Vyavaharic Brahmana. They should recite a Veda. But Brahmana on the spiritual platform means he knows, Brahma means he knows the absolute truth, which is Sarve Veda Yatpadam Amananti. The whole purpose, that which is indicated throughout all the Vedas, is the supreme truth, which is Krishna, ultimately. That may be perceived as Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavanji. Iti Shabhyate. Yajanti Yat Tabdavidas Tabdam Yajgana Madhvayam Brahmeti Paramatmeti Bhagavanji Shabhyate. That supreme truth is worshipped. That one supreme truth is worshipped in three phases as Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan, Supreme Lord. So, ultimate Brahmana is a Vaishnava. By accepting Krishna as the supreme truth, he's more of a Brahmana than the Brahmana who's engaged in very pure lifestyle and ritualistic ceremonies because he's come to the point of it all. Whereas one who's engaged in karma kanda, he's still a long way from understanding the, the whole point that the Vedas are not meant for the Chigunya Vishaya Veda. They're not although the Vedas superficially appear to describe and recommend activities within the three modes of material nature, they're actually meant for something much higher. Pravritir Sarvabhutanam Nivritis tu Mahafalam. The everyone is engaged in Pravriti Marak activities within the three modes of material nature, but the 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 great or the, the real result of following the Vedic literature is from Nivriti Marak. That the, the path of uh, transcending the three modes of material nature, becoming detached from everything that the modes have to offer. So ultimate Brahmana is a devotee of Krishna and simply by understanding Krishna or accepting Krishna as the supreme truth, then he becomes in a better situation than the Vyavaharic Brahmana, even though the Vaishnava of a low caste or non-caste, below having any caste. The doggy does not from any caste. Caste means Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra. And then everything else is not caste. Yeah. They're below having any caste. So he may be an outcast, but by social background. But because he accepts Krishna as the supreme truth, he is, even he doesn't know all the rituals or how to perform this, that or the other or the rules of cleanliness or he, doesn't, he may not even know Shastra, all different things, points of Shastra, but because he accepts Krishna as the supreme truth, he's situated on a, on a, uh, essentially a higher platform. Because the Vyavaharic Brahmana, he's engaged in externals. He hasn't yeah, he knows many things, but he's very much on the 
he hasn't got to the essence. Now, how is it that someone who the Vedic path? You see, let's go back a bit here. The Vedic path is meant for gradual purification. By if one is born in a Shudra family, and he gets the chance of paricharya, service to the higher caste. And by doing that, he gets born in a higher family. That's the general understanding. And gradually he gets the, the chance to take birth as a Brahmana. And then by taking birth as a Brahmana, that's how you perform yagyas. And by performing yagyas, then gradually the uh, knowledge will arise. That's, that's the Vedic process. And then gradually one becomes detached. Then he comes to the point, Atato Brahma Jignyasa. After performing so many ritualistic ceremonies in the Karmakanda, then he gradually thinks, all right, now we've done that enough. Now what's next? Let's inquire into Brahman. Let's inquire into the Absolute Truth. So that's the genesis. That's the gradual process by which one over many births becomes purified. Of course, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he was on, I just quoted this, Vanasha Vacharavata Purushena Parakuman Vishnu Rārādhyate Pantā Nanya Tattho Shakaranam There's no other way to satisfy the Supreme Lord than by worshipping him through the Vanashram system. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when he was offered this, says, Sadhya and Sadhana, the goal of life and how to attain it by Ramananda Rai, he offered this verse. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu says, no, this is external. Because even if one performs all the activities of an ashram, but doesn't worship the Supreme Lord, then, uh, what is that verse? Patantiyato, ye pachant, ye pachant, what is that? No, I'm forgetting. That uh, even if one performs all the an ashram activities, yaisham purusang sakshat, that's how it begins. Should have someone on a computer looking whenever I forget the verse. So, anyway, the purport is that even if you perform all the Vanashram activities, but you don't worship the Supreme Lord, then patantia, then you fall down. You may, you may be, be a pious Brahmana, and you're supposed to get gradual elevation, but having come in contact with Krishna consciousness, if one fails to take to it, then one goes down again. And that's, that's generally how it happens. One doesn't become gradually purified, purified, become a Brahmana, and then go up. Then he becomes a Brahmana, becomes puffed up and falls down. Oh, oh he, 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 Because he's doing everything for sense enjoyment, they don't have a clear understanding of the goal of life, so they get entangled by that. Or they make a mistake, like Nriga Maharaj. You make a little mistake, then you're in a lot of trouble. Now, in Riga Maharaj is only one example. There are so many. Indra himself fell down, and then Nahushu was his replacement. He also fell down. So there are so many examples of terrible results of people who perform very pious activities, but then, due to some mistake, got some terrible results. So the position of one who takes to Krishna consciousness, even from a very low background, is better than one who's practicing ritual purity, but they haven't understood the essence. If one understands the essence, even if he doesn't know the technicalities, then he is in a better position. And they say, well, how is it possible that that happens? How is it that someone who's born in a, 
in a dog-eater's famine, he takes to Krishna consciousness. Well, again, generally doesn't happen. But it may happen. By the mercy of the Supreme Lord, even more specifically by the mercy of his devotees, that sometimes happens. We have that story of Narad Muni and the hunter. The hunter was a very sinful person. His mentality was very sinful. He was trained by his father to half kill animals so that he could enjoy watching them suffering while they died, slowly. Very sinful mentality. But he became purified by the association of Narad Muni. That story is there in the Puranas because... It shows the efficacy of Bhakti Yoga and it shows the, the spiritual power of the great devotees. And it's there because Narad Muni may have delivered, so, or in the history of the world, there may have been so many people who have taken to Krishna consciousness, but that story is there because it's unusual. You don't ex- it's unexpected that someone from such a background can take to Krishna consciousness. And, but the point is that if they do they become worshipable even by ordinary brahmanas. Although generally the ordinary brahmanas won't worship them because they think they're better. But if they have more sense, then they will do. We find here in the purport, Srila Prabhupada gives the example of Haridash Thakur, who was born in a Muslim family. And we find in the case of Haridash Thakur that some brahmanas respected him and others didn't. Those that didn't, they got in a lot of trouble. Now, Haridas Thakur is, is an example of someone else who was born in a very low family, in a farm family of cow eaters. But he was actually someone who had performed all pious activities in a previous life because he's Lord Brahma. But he then how did he get in that situation? That, again, is due to, due to some... It's unusual. He, although he's Lord Brahma, he took birth in that family because he wanted to be cleared from what he considered the offense of, of offending Krishna. He wanted to be in a humble situation. So although he's the most pious person in the universe, to get the position of Lord Brahma, one has to be considerably more pious than Indra. He's the most pious person in the universe, but he took that situation for his own purification. Now we find that Haridash Thakur, among the assembly of pundits, he established that the holy name will grant one liberation, not even as its main result, as a side effect of chanting the holy names one can get liberation from material bondage, which generally that's described in the Shastra, to get free from material bondage. It's, it's a big project. It takes many births and very difficult. Then one can get freed from material bondage. Rahadaj Thakur said, no, it's, it's just a side effect of chanting the holy name. And then certain people there couldn't accept it, specifically that Gopal Chakravarti, who was born in a Brahmin family. You say, how can that be? It's so easy to chant the To get liberation is such a difficult process, prolonged process, and you are saying that by chanting the holy name, which can be done very easily and quickly, 
you get liberation and that's not even the main result. So it seemed that the protest of Gopal Chakravarti was very reasonable, but it wasn't. He was wrong. <laughs> now, how is it that Haidash Thakur was able to quote all these things from Shastra? Because he wasn't born in a Brahmin family, he wasn't trained in Shastra. How is he able to quote all these things? Well, we don't have any record of that. But we, we know, of course, he's Lord Brahma. He studied all the Vedas three times and came to the conclusion that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And the Vedas, in, from Lord Brahma's perspective, are much more elaborate than what we have present in the world at, at the present time. But having taken birth in a Muslim family, then he would, just like any Vaishnava, maybe a great Vaishnava, but when you're born, it's as if you know nothing, in most cases. And you have to start to learn all over again. Although there are cases of, of people who pick things up very quickly, so you could understand that from a previous life they had such an in inclination. So he wasn't, there was no question of be, having been born in a Muslim family, of having access to, the, to learning Sanskrit. Because that was only for the higher caste. That was not allowed even for the Shudras, who were within the Vedic culture. There's no education for them. Education means, first of all, learning Sanskrit and then everything else. There's no question. I mean, apart from the fact that in the Muslim family they wouldn't want to teach him such a thing. But even if he wanted to learn, he wouldn't, there's no way he'd be allowed. It used to, there was so much protest a few hundred years ago when they started translating the, the, even the Ramayana, which is not even considered Vedic. It's, it's a story. When that was translated into uh, the vernacular languages like Bengali, Tamil, Hindi, there was so much protest from the Brahmanas that this, no, only this should be recited by the, by the Brahmanas only. And then gradually it came to be accepted. And previously it used to be that religious discourses, they should only be given in Sanskrit. And only gradually, gradually it came to be accepted that they could be in Hindi or Tamil or whatever. And even today, generally in, in the languages like Hindi or Bengali, if one speaks on the on religious subjects, then he should, he should use a very high level of language, not the ordinary speech. It should be Sanskritized. You don't use ordinary words. You should use Sanskrit words as, as much as possible. That's been the trend. So it came to be accepted that, all right, you can speak in Hindi or Bengali or whatever, but with good admixture of, should be Sanskritized language. That's good. Even now they say that Shuddha, Shuddha Hindi, pure Hindi means there should be lots of Sanskrit words and not Urdu words or like this. And then uh, when English started to be introduced in India, then they thought that, if you use any English words in a, in, in a religious speech, well, that contaminates the whole thing. That's what they thought. 
Because it's, it's Mlecha Bhasha. Nowadays we find Indians, they prefer to have the speeches in English. <laughs> so, it just gives, just giving some idea of, of the culture. There was a lot of resistance to infiltration because the point is that the Vedas are in Sanskrit and they're not, they're not changeable. They're Shruti. And it's in, it's in Sanskrit means that it's, that's its protection, that's its preservation. Because once you change, because Sanskrit it's a very systematic language. Once you put it in a vernacular language, then anything can happen. It's more open to perversion, distortion, and uh, what's that word? Prakshep, interpolation. Plus the fact that it, it, there's a whole different feeling associated with it. Each each language. It's just like if if you hear the 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 speeches of someone who's speaking in Shuddha Hindi or or high level Bengali or whatever, you just by hearing it, it feels it's very pleasant to hear. It's it's just the level of the language is very exalted. Whereas English, how you know whatever it is, Shakespeare, what it's just you know it's English. It's, can never come to that that level because it's uh, the Sanskritam that comes from Vani, Saraswati. Vani means Shabda. Its 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 source is transcendental. Of course, everything is its source is transcendental ultimately, but Sanskrit is much closer to the source. Vani means Saraswati. Vani means sound. Doesn't mean any sound, but it specifically means the the shruti, that which is heard. So, how is it that Haridas Thakur he could speak in the assembly of pundits? Well, there are different theories, and none of them are substantiated. It's generally thought that in his youth he must have had association with some Vaishnavas. And he must have heard something from them and learned. We, we might expect that he wasn't as tremendously learned in Shastra as the Brahmins who he was discussing with, because they had years of training. And even up to the time of Bhaktisthan Sarasvati Thakur, there were many people who were, who were very learned. It was just common. Like here in South India, we find still a few people who know some things about Shastra. But in those days, all over India, there were many people who knew a lot. And so many things. The, the, the culture of Vedic learning was still very strong. That's why it's just a... It, it just shows to me how, how much there's a lack of culture of learning when people address me as learned, because... I have some idea of what it means to be learned, and I know I'm not. You know, you know a few hundred shlokas, and people say you're learned. And, uh, it's how learned people used to be. We have no idea. So, Haidas Thakur, presumably he wasn't trained in that way, but he knew the essence. 
not only theoretically, but by his chanting of the holy names day and night, he demonstrated that he he had he knew what the essence is. The essence is to chant the holy names of the Lord. And by chanting, he got the blessings of the Supreme Lord. Yasya Deve Prabhate, Yata Deve Tataguro, Tasyaite Katitahyata, Prakashante Mahatmana. One who has firm faith in the Supreme Lord and the Guru. All the purports of Vedic knowledge are revealed. That's why these fools and rascals in the universities, they strive to study the Vedas by their stupid it's, uh, pratyaksha. So, you know, just we'll read and we'll, we'll jumble it all in our stupid heads full of stool and then we'll understand them and we'll give theories and the rishis are like this and they got it wrong like that. and They're just rascals. If you're going to study the Vedas, you should study according to the Vedic system. Otherwise, how can you understand? It's simply arrogance. Arrogance and foolishness and demonism that they, without any qualification to study the Vedas, they, they, they study it through the uh, blinkers. You know what blinkers is on a horse? So the blinkers of their, of their contaminated Foolish, and you, there are so many other expletives or adjectives you can pull out there that uh, that adhakikshita. They they want to through what they can see. So if we're to study the Vedas, we should do so by the Vedic system, in which everything is revealed to one who has faith in the supreme Lord and his representative. Then the purport of the Vedas is revealed. Otherwise you can study the Vedas and become a good scholar and have some superficial understanding. But the actual essence, you don't understand. So who is the Guru of Haridash Thakur? That's another thing which the biographer, that means he's mentioned in Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita and Sri Chaitanya Bhagavat in both extensively. It's not stated who his guru is, or even if he had a guru. It may be that uh, he didn't specifically have a, a mantra guru. It may, it may have been that no one gave him mantra initiation that would have it's, it's difficult to say because you can only guess because, or speculate because there's nothing written about it. But uh, anyway, the fact is that he is Nama Acharya. It's not known who his guru is, but he's the guru of the whole universe by his activities of chanting the holy names. So his was a case of someone who was born in a very low family of cow eaters, but who is worshipable by the whole universe and who actually in a previous life had performed all pious activities. Then one time a devotee asked Prabhupada that it's a well known that how it's said that one has to have pious activities before one comes to Krishna consciousness but we didn't have any pious activities in what we saw of our lives. Prabhupada said I made your pious activities. And what does this mean, pious activities? 
Here it's stated that it's understood that people who are chanting the holy names of the Lord, that means they're, they're fully pure Vaishnavas are being referred to here. One who have Nama Ruchi, they have taste for chanting the holy names of the Lord. It's understood that they've performed all pious activities in previous lives. We also find in Bhagavad Gita, the Lord says, Yeshang Tantagatang Paapang Jana Nam Punya Karma Nam Tedvanva Moha Nirmukta Bhajante Mangdurvata Ha. That one who is free from sinful activities and who has performed pious activities in this life and the previous life and who is free from the dualities of delusion, such a person engages in my service with great determination. So again, pious activities are being stressed. But then we also find in the one of the essential verses of Srila Rupa Goswami, he says, Krishna Bhakti Rasa Bhavitamatihi Kriyatang Yadi Kutopi Labhyate Tatra Lolyam Hapimulya Mekala Janma Koti Sukritaya Nalabhyate. He says that the Krishna Bhakti Rasa Bhavitamatihi, which is pretty difficult to translate. It means the the consciousness, Krishna Bhakti, you have to go backwards, the consciousness of one who is mm, overwhelmed with Krishna Bhakti Ras. So one who's... So if, if you can attain to that state, Rupa Goswami says, then do so by any means. And what is, what is the what is required to attain that? Greed to do so. Strong desire. Not pious activities. He specifically says, not pious activities. He said, you may perform pious activities in many millions of lifetimes, but that will not give Krishna Bhakti. So there appears to be a contradiction here. What is to be understood? There are different kinds of sukriti or pious activities. Bhogonmukhi, mokshanmukhi, bhaktianmukhi. Pious activities that lead one to enjoy this material world, that's generally what is considered pious activities. Pious activities performed for the sake of becoming liberated from this material world and then in a completely different category pious activities which are conducive for becoming, coming onto or advancing on the path of bhakti. So pious activities of this, which are conducive for material enjoyment, they can, such piety that can never ever bring one to Krishna. That, that in itself is not sufficient for Krishna bhakti. But then we may say, well, why is the whole Varnashram system to make one pious so that one can eventually take to bhakti. But that in and of itself is not the root cause of bhakti. It may produce a... Uh, it's meant to produce a, a background in which Krishna bhakti is more likely to take place. But in and of itself it is not bhakti and it doesn't bring one to bhakti. The, the vital point in attaining bhakti 
is bhaktis tu bhagavad bhakta sangena parajayate. Bhakti is received from a devotee. It's the gift of a devotee. Krishna se tamara, Krishna dite paro, tamara shakatiyachi. The devotee has the power to give Krishna to others. So it's generally considered that in one who is performing pious activities that they're more likely to take to that. But on the other hand, even if someone is performing impious activities, somehow or other if he gets the association of a devotee and he takes to that, notwithstanding all his sinful activities, then immediately he comes to a better platform than those who have performed, been performing pious activities for millions of lifetimes but haven't taken to Krishna Bhakti. Even if his external habits are still on a lower level, the pious brahmana who is very clean and, you know, if he sneezes, he washes his face and performs archaman, he's very pakka like that, is on a better, he's not on a better place, he's not on a, as good a platform as the one who is born in an impure family with no proper training, but has accepted Krishna as the goal of his life. He's on a He's on a better platform. Even from the point of view of performing sacrifices, it would appear that the, the trained Brahmana is in a, on a better platform. And actually, if one is to perform sacrifice, he should be trained in all these things because sacrifice means there are certain procedures to be followed. But the devotee is intrinsically more qualified because the sacrifice is Yagyo by Vishnu, he sacrifices Vishnu. And he the, the sacrifice is ultimately meant for pleasing Lord Vishnu. And those who are not devotees, they don't really understand how to do that because Lord Vishnu is Bhavagrahi. He accepts the mood more than the procedures. He's more interested in the mood of the performer. So did the Dog eater, who's no longer dog eater, you take to devotional service, you're not going to eat dogs anymore. Is he, did he actually have all these pious activities in a previous life? Maybe. Maybe not. It may be different in different cases. And it doesn't really matter, actually. Once you come to that platform, it doesn't really matter what is your past life. Sometimes devotees are very eager to find out about their previous lives. It doesn't matter. Whatever it was, if it's not, you know, if it's not Krishna consciousness, it's all nonsense anyway. So, if you had previous births, that means you were in Maya anyway. So, so, what's the value of knowing that? So, it's like that, that, that we say about sadhana siddha, nitya siddha. It doesn't matter. They're both on the same platform. You may say, well, in a pre... That's why, that's why say, you're not supposed to see the pastor of Vaishnava say, well, he used to be a meat eater. Yeah, but now he's chanting Hare Krishna, so he's on the he's on the perfect platform. To to blame someone for activities they performed before they came to Krishna consciousness, it's a it's very serious offense to a Vaishnava, actually. So uh, it doesn't matter that much whether they were in a previous life performing this or that, but it's been pointed out that such a person, he's 
whatever results, if you're trying the holy names of the Lord, whatever results you might have got from bathing in holy places, performing austerities, this, that, and the other, you're already on a platform beyond that anyway. You're in a better position. Someone who's chanting the holy name of the Lord, even though he's in a, from a very fallen background, he is in a better position than someone who's from a very pious family, but who hasn't developed faith in the holy name of the Lord. That's the point that's being made here. Hare Krishna, any more discussion about this? You want to rush off to the land, is it? Do you have photos of you making the bricks? I, I, give me a whole, give me a whole bunch of them. I'll show them to people. <laughs>